0: We can understand why politics becomes synonymous with empty rhetoric and false hope. But it's not just politicians, right? People break their word all the time. Have you had an experience with a contractor or a handyman? Not Mark Wrist. No, no, not Mark Wrist, dude. He follows through. But sometimes you're promised a little more than is delivered, right? Are we people of our word? Do we follow through on everything we commit to, everything we promise at work to our kids or to our parents, to the people around us? Do the marriage vows that we make carry us through the difficult times with our spouses? How are we doing on our church membership vows? We need people that we can rely on. And we should be striving to people, to be people that can be depended on. If you say you'll do something, do it. That was drilled into me as a kid from my parents. But we don't always, right? We fail. We don't keep all of our promises. But do we serve a God who keeps his promises, and can be trusted to bring to pass what he has bound himself to in his word. Today's passage, Jeremiah chapter 33, shows us that there is no chance that God will back out of his promises to Israel. Despite the judgment and the punishment that they were experiencing, despite that, how that made it look, God was going to come through. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he gives us every reason to trust his word in dealing with New Testament, New Covenant believers as he did with ancient Israel. So as we pick up the text to look at it, let's pray for understanding. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path open and illuminate our minds, that we may purely and perfectly understand your word, and that our lives may be conformed to what we've understood, that nothing may be displeasing to your majesty, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's jump into the chapter. We're going to read exactly half of it for our first point. So, looking at how God promises that restoration, that they would be restored as at first. Let's look at the first 13 verses. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath for I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord in this place, of which you say it is a waste without man or beast, In the cities of Judah, the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever." For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negeb. In this land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Kevin Durant, the basketball player, all-star with the uh, Golden State Warriors, was doing an interview a few weeks ago. And he was having to answer questions about sort of an altercation with another player and whether he had been scoring enough, shooting enough. And he finally just stopped and said, I'm Kevin Durant. Y'all know me? To just end the discussion. Basically, he was saying, hey, listen, I've been in this league a long time. I've got a track record. You know what I'm capable of. You know I could score when I need to. Verse 2 God gives us this little reminder of his credentials. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. I'm Yahweh, creator God. Y'all know me. You know, in case anyone wants to doubt what I can accomplish and what I say will come to pass, just a gentle reminder I can accomplish absolutely everything. If you're going to doubt anything I have to say, you're doubting the almighty creator who existed before anything in this world did whose power brought all things into being and ordains and guides all things that will pass. Let's just throw that out there before we go any farther. Verse three, call to me, and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. This is another one of those what we call coffee mug verses, right? You might have it stenciled somewhere uh, on a Christian t shirt or something. It's sort of a verse that gets pulled out of context a lot of warm fuzzies from it. And I think we tend to treat this uh, out of context as a magical promise in prayer, that if we call out in prayer, that God will reveal hidden things to us. And perhaps, maybe God will do that for you. I mean, prayer is important. If we call out That may happen, but remember that this is spoken very specifically to a prophet, God's mouthpiece. And we are not spoken directly with Scripture like that today. God doesn't necessarily promise that He will respond with great and hidden things when we pray, He promises that He will listen and He will act. If our prayers are in accord with his will, that we should seek and we'll find and knock, the door will be opened. He has some beautiful promises in prayer, and prayer is vital. But when we want to know great and hidden things, or great things that would be hidden from us had God not revealed them to us, what are we talking about? We're talking about the revelation of Scripture, not just the book of Revelation, All the scriptures. Open your Bible. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, or you're still contemplating it, whether you came to Christ last week, there is an opportunity for you to learn something new that would have been hidden. Something great that God wants you to understand. Plus, there's a great mystery at the heart of everything in the Bible. Got two. Verses in your outline there that remind us, Romans 16, uh, Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, has now been disclosed. And then Colossians 2, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The New Testament says that Jesus was a mystery hidden for ages, but now revealed and ready to be believed. That is the greatest hidden thing that God can reveal to us. Okay, so what are the great and wonderful things that God shows Jeremiah? Verse five says that, He would fill the city with dead bodies. Isn't that great? Are you getting the warm fuzzies? Okay, it's a lot more than that. It's everything that comes after. It's the time after the punishment. The restoration of their fortunes and their health. Verses 6 and 7. Rebuilding their city. Verse 7. Forgiveness. And cleansing, verse 8. God will take the empty, desolate city and bring people back, not only to normal life, but to worship and to celebrations like weddings that'll take place, verses 10 and 11. It will be brought back to the place where there, not only our people are thriving, but the sheep, the pasture land will be restored as well. Why is God going to do all this? Well, verse 9 says that it's so that the surrounding nations will see and marvel at what he's done. But It's more than that. Verse 11 has a sentence that has echoes all over Scripture. Uh, other verses that sound so much like it, like Psalm 118, 29, 2 Chronicles 20, 21. What it says, is, give thanks To the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is a theme that's coming up because my last sermon I mentioned that the Hebrew word for steadfast love is hesed. And I said that Michael Card had just released a book about it called Inexpressible. I was excited it was coming out. Well, now I've read it, and I recommend it to anybody It's a great look at what that word hesed means, and you can gather from the title inexpressible that it means a whole lot of things. There's a whole page of explanation or definitions of what that word means. It's here translated steadfast love. Hesed, that Hebrew word, that concept, occurs 28 times in the prophetic writings, And, and Jeremiah uses it the most of any of the prophets. And though Michael Card says that has said means different things and is often said to mean unconditional uh, or inexhaustible love, which it does, his definition is a little more simple. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. I like that ver- that definition. Yes, Israel was in a covenant with God, but they broke it over and over in major ways. And so they had really no right to expect him to keep his side of the covenant. But he says that his said, his patient, steadfast, faithful love is the reason and the basis for his continuing to show his favor to them. Let's move on to the next five verses. And be reminded, the throne and the priesthood will not lack a man. Let's look at what God promises here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. As Phil Ryken, a commentator, uh, reminds in his commentary on Jeremiah, any time the death of a king came about, there was reason to be concerned. Think about it, when, when Solomon, the great king of Israel, the wisest man who ever lived, when he died, right, the northern tribes rebelled and followed a man named Jeroboam and the, who was, would be a better king and leader than Solomon's son, Rehoboam, or, yeah, Rehoboam. And so the kingdom was divided for good. When Alexander the Great got malaria at age 33, four of his Generals stepped into power and fought with one another, dividing the empire. And in Jeremiah's day, the king, Zedekiah, was soon to be defeated by Babylon. And his sons would be killed before his eyes, thereby ending his reign and the kingship in the southern kingdom. It would seem, particularly to the people of Jerusalem, that God would not be fulfilling his promises. Of a descendant of David to rule on the throne, right? These guys are wiped out. How's it gonna last? But God declares that He will fulfill the promise made to Israel and to Judah. He will keep His promises despite their flagrant sins and breaking of the covenant. Ultimately, the healing and cleansing of the land will come through one person. A man who would sit on the throne of David. Perhaps not literally, but the throne. The man who would become a king and a priest. He is a righteous branch, verse 15 says. Whereas every king that Israel and Judah had ever had had been flawed in some way, even the best kings, right, David, Solomon, Josiah, Even those guys had their flaws that the Bible records. This coming king would be righteous in all ways. His name would would be called the Lord is our righteousness. And he would bring salvation to his people. He will be visited as a baby by wise men who bring gifts meant for royalty. In death, he would be mocked with a sign declaring he was king of the Jews. And he will come in triumph on a white horse with his name written on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, according to Revelation 19. His name is Jesus and he is the king, not just of Israel and Judah, but of all people. And he is a priest as well, having offered his body up as the sacrificial lamb that took the punishment for our sins instead of us bearing them individually. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was a once-for-all-time offering that God accepts as payment for the sins of his people, for those who believe and follow him. These are great promises, but are, how trustworthy are they? The last eight verses in this passage remind us that God's promises are tied to what happens with the earth and with the universe. Let's read verses 19 through 26. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, So that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. So that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. Okay, let's do a little English grammar, sentence structure lesson. You look at verses 20 and 21, and then down to verses 25 and 26, you have two if-then statements, right? Conditional, causality declarations. Let's look at them. The first one essentially tells us if someone can break God's covenant with the day and the night, which would mean someday the day or the night doesn't come, that the earth stops rotating, then God's covenants with David for an ongoing heir on the throne and with priests for ongoing priesthood Can be broken too. And then the second one if God doesn't really have a covenant with day and night and the heavens and the earth, then he does not have a covenant with Jacob and David to have their offspring continue to rule. It's interesting to think that God made a covenant with the day and the night, right? We generally think of God as having covenants with people, not times. But God says that he has promised so thoroughly that day will appear when it's supposed to and that night will come when it's supposed to, which means that he's also regulating the heavens and the planets, that the sun will continue to burn, the earth will continue to rotate on its axis. Maybe this is all a reference back to uh, Genesis 8.22 where God promised Noah That he would keep the rhythms of creation going. He says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then verse 22 also sounds reminiscent of a promise given to a forefather. Verse 22 says, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured so I will multiply the offspring of David my servant and the Levitical priests who minister to me. That sounds a lot like God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 22, 17. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. What God is saying is that I'm not going to forget about you. I'm not going to stop loving and delivering on my promises to my people. Yes, I've punished them. I've disciplined them for a time, for a season. But through it all, until the planets and the heavenly bodies stop working like I've designed them to, you can count on me. So for Jeremiah, as he is looking at destruction coming, standing on the precipice of the nation being attacked and destroyed and carried off, Jeremiah gets these amazing promises of God that then he passes on as the mouthpiece that say essentially it's all still on. I know what things look like that I'm withdrawing and abandoning my people, but I made serious promises in my covenants with Abraham, with Noah, with Moses, with David, my people, and I intend to keep them. This time of discipline and pruning will lead my people back on track, and the future will be beautiful when I restore them to the land, back to their health in abundance. If you need some assurance, just look up. Just look to see if day still comes and night still comes, and you'll know that I'm still guiding and ruling and delivering my people. If we haven't emphasized it enough in this uh, sermon series on Jeremiah, that the illustrations the application can sometimes be tough as we get through the book but let me just remind us how applicable all this stuff is to today to our lives that no matter what happens in this life no matter how beaten down we are no matter how much we foul up our own lives or if we how much we've been hurt or victimized by others God will meet us in the middle of our grief and our hurt and our anger. And he'll remind us that we need to look to him for the time when we will come out of that. I remember talking to a dad once who had listened to his teenage son's uh, problems, his angst and and depression, and, and he was sort of sensing that maybe suicide was on the table. in in his son's mind. And so he very gently reminded his son, you don't want to apply a permanent solution to a temporary problem or set of problems. Not trying to downplay anyone's pain, but that was a good reminder that whatever we're wrestling with right now, you may come out of it in a few years. You may not even remember it as things in our lives go. Or if you do, maybe you'll look back and go, wow, God really used that for good, for teaching me, for shaping me, to grow and mature me. I guess what I'm trying to say is the perseverance of the saints. Sometimes we make that a very theological concept that, that has to do with uh, justification and sanctification and and these things, but it is also just a really practical, wonderful thing that Christians need to be ready to persevere through all their difficult circumstances because God promises good things at the end of them. Now, we got to be careful because sometimes we supply the definition of good and it's not what God would necessarily call good. God doesn't always promise the rosy, happy life. That's not what I'm saying at all. We may need to struggle with chronic illness and pain. We may lose loved ones. We may die for our faith. But God will be faithful Through it all, I've read some pretty amazing promises that we can stake our lives on. Let's read a couple. They're in your outline. Or if you're really quick with your Bibles. John 14, verses two and three. Jesus told us, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where i am you may be also that is a beautiful promise romans 8 the end of the amazing chapter the last couple of verses say no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure that neither death nor life Angels, nor rulers, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is preparing a place for us to live where we are united in his love. 1 Peter 1 says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It doesn't matter how long it's going to happen. It takes to happen. your inheritance will not fade or perish at all. It's there for you. And then First Peter, a little later in that chapter, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. For those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and believe in the power of his death and resurrection to save us from sin, our inheritance is rock solid. The outcome of our faith, salvation is waiting for us, and God can be trusted to persevere us through to claim it. God will keep his promises to you. We sing, For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And this morning we, we sang, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When God meets us and welcomes us in, and all those who believe and embrace God's covenant promises to them said, Amen. Take a moment to pray, and I'll close us. Three. Jeremiah 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen.